In 2015 America, truth and candor are no longer the coin of the land. Lincoln wouldn't recognize today's Republicans, and Kennedy wouldn't recognize today's Democrats. Clarence Darrow couldn't practice law today, and Theodore Roosevelt would be unelectable. Do we view this as progress? In an environment where citizens can't defend themselves effectively in court, because our legal system has become so convoluted that it takes a doctoral level degree and the passing of a licensing exam to practice law, and where a straight-from-the-hip political candidate and devoted public servant couldn't serve in a higher office because of being too honest, what does freedom even mean anymore? Communication and compromise have been replaced by something which we hear echoed everywhere today. The phrase is political correctness. But what does this phrase really mean? Well, from what I've been able to discern, political correctness, or PC for short, but not meaning personal computer in this context, is a form of self-censorship. Trying not to say anything which has the potential to be controversial in someone else's eyes. Although you may not necessarily know whom that might be, because they might take offense to it. In response, allow me to point out that I'm half Jewish on my father's side of the family. My father spent several years during World War II in a slave labor camp in Romania serving the Nazi war effort. When he was finally liberated, he discovered that his parents had been deported and killed in the gas chambers. My point here is this. Just by the fact that I exist and breathe, I offend neo-Nazis and the KKK. Yet I'm not going to kill myself to spare them from offense. I find it necessary to cite this extreme example in order to prove the point of how ludicrous the concept of political correctness is and why it just needs to go away. I have heard people parroting phrases such as perception is reality, it is what it is, shut up in color, and more is less, on an increasing basis. The people who accept these distortions of meaning are either too ignorant or too apathetic to challenge the underlying dogmas these phrases, which are completely bereft of true meaning or wisdom, perpetuate. Perception isn't reality. More isn't less. It is what it is, is a vapid tautology demonstrating resigned acceptance of a bad situation. And shut up in color is a thinly veiled mandate to stop asking questions and simply do as you're told. These certainly do not reflect the principles upon which the United States of America was established. What purpose does this doublespeak actually serve in a democratic republic other than to dumb down citizens and encourage them not to ask pointed questions of those who represent them or who hold positions of power in society, those who most need to be held openly accountable to those who have elected them, that is, the citizens of the nation? George Orwell's fictional novel 1984 was never intended to be an instruction manual, yet it appears eerily prescient in describing the current state of our present society. My year of doctoral studies taught me how to better research and evaluate my sources when I'd come up against a question for which the accepted or standard answer was truly unenlightening and incomplete. Yet being an erudite man or woman possessed of a probing mind while lacking the credentialing that leads to the title doctor had led me to being a essentially labeled as a rabble-rouser, a troublemaker. Because of my dogged passion to do what I see as the right thing, I have in some situations been accused of being belligerent rather than emphatic, which is the more accurate explanation. Critiques outside of the academic community are generally not received well. They are treated as a condemnation, a belittling, an embarrassment, and not, as intended, an observation that something is lacking in some aspect and is needing work to be improved. I am told that there is something not right with me for not being able to blindly accept the current status quo without question. 
To act as though everything is fine and is as it should be, even when it's readily apparent that this is in fact not the case. Because I will challenge what others accept without evidence or proof. I've even been told that I should be able to see, for want of a better term, political blindness in myself. Because apparently, everyone else sees it. But of course, who constitutes everyone else is never defined. And when pointed questions such as those are asked, they are dismissed by the self-appointed accuser as irrelevant. Because of that, it should be obvious to me as well, and why can't I see this perceived shortcoming in myself? That's like telling a gay person there's something wrong with them for loving members of their own sex. And why can't they see that it's wrong because everyone else does? A prime example of this is that there appear to be implicit social norms regarding email use, yet it seems everyone but I appears to have received that unwritten memorandum articulating these norms. When I send an email to a large, inclusive email chain identifying an issue, this act does not indicate intent as a means of embarrassment to any of the addressees but rather a rallying cry to all potential stakeholders to quickly bring a significant amount of brain power to bear on solving a problem quickly. However, outside of the academic community, this is treated as an affront or an insult, as in, quote, You have put me on report to my boss. You have shown him or her that I cannot handle something on my own and are thus making me look either incompetent or apathetic, end quote. The other analogy that I have used, albeit in a slightly different context, is that these type of people react to these actions as though pictures of them on the toilet have been published on Facebook for the world to see and ridicule. At the lowest levels of our society, we have become excessively politicized. Free speech only is accepted as without political consequence if it is innocuous and does not challenge the listener to occasionally reassess elements of his or her Weltanschauung, which is German for worldview. Although technology in general, and the Internet in particular, are supposed to have flattened organizational structures, instead we have superimposed them upon industrial hierarchy. CEOs, CFOs, and COOs still think themselves an elite class who should stand above and separate from the hoi polloi. They feel it a transgression of unwritten protocol if they are contacted directly by someone outside their organization. Yet in spite of this, many of them feel obligated to publish their email addresses to where they are publicly available. And yet they expect them to never be used by the public once they do this? In the pre-internet age, companies did not routinely publish their internal telephone directories and make them available publicly. If such individuals do not want to be emailed, they shouldn't publicly make their email addresses available. I have often been told to choose my battles wisely, and although there appears to be some logic in that statement, what are the criteria to determine which battles should in fact be fought? Or is it possible that this statement is simply a means of constantly deferring the issue when any potential of conflict may arise? Could the phrase, choose your battles wisely, constitute a noble-sounding cliché intended to simply discourage any and all challenges to injustice and poor practices whenever and wherever it is spoken? We seem to have forgotten that in the United States, we reside in what was designed as a democratic republic, in which all public officials should expect to be held accountable 
to their citizenry, especially and more directly so in this age of instantaneous communication. If one becomes so busy that he or she can only get to answer email during certain dates and times, then that explanatory notification should be posed with the matching email address listing. This way, people will know without asking when and under what conditions they can expect a reply so they don't wait and wonder if the message was either never received or deemed not worthy of reply, which should never be the case. Technology has overwhelmed the ability of most of us to manage it effectively. Many of us will consider it a sign of weakness or failure to reach out to someone we can trust when we are overwhelmed to ask for help. That is, until we're so behind, we can't conceive of getting ahead without outside help. Is this merely our pride, preventing us from recognizing when we're in over our heads, that we somehow feel that we should be able to handle it all by ourselves? Because if not, we're showing a weakness that can be exploited by some indeterminate, amorphous adversary waiting in the wings for us to fail? and that it is a common malaise in today's world that benefits no one when it's overlooked or ignored. I've titled this essay Drinking the Hemlock because, like Socrates, it appears that I've a tendency to bring to light some politically unpopular truths and shortcomings, which some may have found to be an embarrassment. It appears that they're doing their best to try and make me go away, as though that will make the shortcomings I've identified disappear as well. Coercing the person who has held the mirror up to you when it shows you an undesirable or unflattering reflection of yourself does not make your appearance any more flattering once the look glass has been shattered. It only briefly eliminates that problem from your sight for that moment. People must also have the moral fortitude to own their own mistakes and to take positive actions to learn from them and to prevent their recurrence. In cases where those mistakes are not obvious to them, those around them should also recognize their moral obligation to provide the necessary feedback to remediate the situation. Unpleasant news should not be delegated down to intermediaries, but delivered by the individual who was responsible for making the decision. This must always occur in a timely fashion. Anything less is professional cowardice, and anyone practicing such cowardice is wholly unworthy of continuing to serve in any position of leadership. This was a lesson a Navy captain taught me a long time ago when I was a petty officer second class. The order always comes from you. It is never so-and-so told me to tell you. The former illustrates leadership, while the latter demonstrates cowardice. If you're not the originator of the order, directive, or news, let the person deliver their own decision while looking the individual in the eye that's being impacted by it. And if the recipient of the news happens to ask why, the answer to that question is never unimportant or irrelevant, no matter how stridently the one being asked this question may try to dismiss or distract from it. Failing to provide an explanation of the background circumstances only draws attention to the fact that there wasn't an actual substantive reason for the action in the first place. If they can't do it, then they're not leadership material. Time to move on to someone who is. And if you have a disagreement, misunderstanding, or problem with someone, talk with them and resolve it. These are the actions that adults in a nation which preaches freedom for all its citizens practices regularly. This is Bob Seke with I've Got an Axe to Grind, and thank you for listening. Until next time.